0: good amen it's always good to take time and slow down and let his presence minister to our spirits if we get in a hurry often we miss those times that he's trying to do something in our lives we've been in a series um for those of you that were not able to be here when we had our our launch a few weeks back memorial day weekend for our uh building campaign if you will to raise the funds Um, we do have a video that we showed and uh, I think for the sake of time today guys I'm going to hold off on that because there's some things I really want to get out through the message I'm excited about what the Lord's given me for today when I saw when we began to sing through the songs not knowing what the song lineup was of course I heard a few in my office but uh, man could not have been more perfect for what the Holy Spirit led today We started a series with the launch of our capital campaign on God's, the path uh, to his perfected purpose. God's perfected purpose in our life, what that path is. And in that opening sermon, we really set up for a series of sermons with uh, different points in that first sermon. We talked about the plan that God never starts something without the end in mind. His plans are always complete. His provision that he uses people and their resources to prepare for the end, that he's always using our resources, that even though we know that what the scripture says, he owns a cattle on thousand hills, well, guess who's tending the cattle? That is us, and so he owns that. And then period, just like when you end a sentence, God puts a period at the end of the story. He's the one, the author and the finisher of our faith. And then also people, that it always involves his people, that, that God's story, when we read about him, it always involves his creation, us. Who he plans to spend eternity with. And it always ends up in a place, that promised land. That, that place, it's always a, there's a physical place that God takes us to. And so that brings us into today. Because last week we, uh, we uh, had a message called Terminal. Talking about that we are terminally ill. But just like uh, when you go to airplane terminal, that we're all, all heading somewhere. But today I want to talk to you about provision. Provision you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 13, this is where we'll spend our time today uh, for the most part. And listen, this may end up being two sermons, uh, not because of time, but because there's a wealth of uh, information in this passage. And so I'm not sure if we will fully cover it all today, even if we had had a couple hours to do so. But uh, 2 Kings chapter 13, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 20, and I'm looking in the English Standard Version. There's another sermon, as I told you, this, these sermons all came from different ministers, different uh, sermon series that, that kind of hand-selected. Uh, there are a lot of these sermons, um, and I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce his name right because I rarely listen to him. But Stephen Funderburg, is that right? Uh, Jen, you know his name, don't you? Stephen Funderburg? Okay, so I'm hoping I pronounce his name right. But um, you know, he's a, a powerful young young preacher, um, and in a series, he talked about several things: the power of precision. Uh, he also talked about the power of provision, but um, we're going to spin on uh, provision. But the power of precision, using a double meaning there, he, he said it's to aim at something. Don't just waste all your arrows and ammunition fighting worthless battles that don't matter anyway. That often we waste the resources God's given us to fight our battles on useless things. And so um, we see that you were... Uh, a lot of times we're worn out by the time we fight and lose because we've worn ourselves out just paddling, um, trying to stay afloat. And so uh, basically he said, he said that there's a time when you have to pre-side, the pre-decision. There's a precision to your decision that you're make a decision before you get into the battle that I'm going to be standing in the end. You're going to pre-side. And so um, we're going to get into that at another time, but today we're going to look at... Uh, Uh, provision there's one thing for sure there's nothing worse than what could have been there's nothing worse than than wondering what could have been it's the pain of falling short is nothing compared to the pain of stopping short remember we talked about before about God has the end in mind that the plan that last sermon was about the plan and that there's nothing worse than finishing without ending are ending without a finishing, I'm sorry. That, that there's a lot of things we start sometimes, we never really finish them. They may end, but we don't finish them. The relationships and marriage that, that end, but they never really had a finish. They never finish the race. And so it makes us a little afraid and challenges us when we, we get into this because it's challenging those things we fear the most of not being able to finish what we start. And so this brings us to the power of provision, declaring over your life that God has got what you need. That, that it's a matter of you receiving it and, and opening yourself up to it because in the Scripture, the image of a window symboli- symbolizes both perspective because it's what you look through. Now listen up. This, think about a window. It's what you look through, but sometimes what you're looking through is just as important as what you're looking at. And I can prove this. There's plenty of uh, opportunity in the, in the Bible to prove this, but I'll prove this another way. Um, Say, let me trade glasses with you for a minute. Are those prescription? Okay. Let me trade glasses with you. Oh, wow. We need need to pray for your eyesight in Jesus name. <laughs> now see, y'all looked really good before I put these on. Y'all y'all look really good, but now now everybody looks terrible. This is horrible. We, we need to pray for saved eyes. Okay, so, so if you're sitting by somebody with glasses, ask them to try your glasses. Just come on. Just, just swap glasses. If you both got glasses, swap glasses for a minute. I want you to get the effect. I want you to get the effect. See, what I'm looking through, what I'm looking through changed the dimensions of what I'm looking at because it wasn't meant for me you hear me what you're looking at because of the lens you're looking through it looks wrong because those lenses weren't meant for you and often that's how we approach battles we take on battles sometimes that weren't meant for us and so everything looks skewed because it was never meant for us another thing a a window represents is provision like in malachi 3 where god challenges people if you'll release what's in your hand i'll release what's in my heart And God says, I want to bless you, but the window is closed. The power of preparation for God to work opens the window to provision. So in other words, the preparation, that plan we talked about last week, often the plan that God has for your life is the preparation to open the window for His provision. So this morning we're going to talk about provision and the perspective. I want to to ask this question uh, in regards to that perspective. Is it possible that provision and perspective work in conjunction with each other hand in hand? In other words, is it possible that without the proper perspective, you can't really receive the proper provision? And I'll make the case for this as we go, but I'm excited about what God gave me to teach you today. I always pray over my sermons because I get really nervous before I preach because I'm worried about disappointing people. I've always been a people pleaser and, and nothing's changed really. And so I worry that you're going to come in here and you're not going to get any spiritual benefit. And especially when a pastor comes in and if you see lots of empty seats, you, you tend to, to be in the, in the temporary and be in the flesh and say, God, what am I even doing here? Am I really pouring into people? But I say, God, these people need something from you today that I can't give them. And help me not to mess it up. Furthermore, I don't even know what they need, God. Only you know what they need. So God has this like full-time surveillance system on you, watching you all the time. When I was in my office late last night, still trying to hammer this out, and I'm sitting there, and I've got a screen there with our cameras, and just because I'm a paranoid kind of person, I couldn't help. Every once in a while, I would glance over just to see an empty, dark parking lot and my car sitting there. But, but just the fact that I had to know, uh, you know what was out there. And many times, God... We, we want to keep surveillance on our needs, but God has a full-time surveillance system on our situation always. So how many of you believe that He can speak to your situation this morning? That He can speak directly to your situation this morning? Every seat in here, and especially the empty ones because, well, they're not here. But, but every seat has, has got to understand, every person here, that God has got what you need. God has got what you need. And I don't even worry about it anymore because I look at myself under a microscope hard enough that I feel like if I can figure out what's wrong with me, then maybe I'll figure out the cure for the rest of the world. So I always pray, God, provide for these folks what they need today. Because I sometimes feel like those, those disciples when they had 5,000 hungry people there and this little boy has five loaves and some fishes and, and they're wondering how they're going to feed everybody. Yet God often says to me, bring what you have even if it seems too little. And watch what I do through you. Bring what you have, even if you don't think it's enough, and see what I do through you. And it's interesting that, that to provide for the 5,000 hungry people, Jesus did not bypass the meager supply of the disciples. He multiplied it. He, he didn't look over the five loaves of fish and said, I'll just drop some manna from heaven. He multiplied what was there. So the whole process of provision starts when it seems to be It doesn't seem like it's enough to you. That's really how God starts his process of provision. Now listen up. Today I want you to walk away with the idea, with the knowledge from God's word, that he has you. He has all your needs. He has what you need. If it's loneliness, he has that person. If it's, and he has that right person. If it's food, he has that. If it's a job, he has that. But listen, we need to change our perspective though before we can understand what we really need. And so, I wonder if provision is a matter of perspective. Elisha seems to think so in this passage because this great prophet is dying. And this new king has one chance to get what he needs from the mouth of the man of God. And let's see what happens in 2 Kings 13, verse 14. It says, uh, Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him And wept before him. This wasn't normal for a king to go down to see the prophet. The prophet would go to see the king. But there was desperate situation going on. And so the king made this journey. And there's one thing about pressure. The pressure that's on the king. We'll get into that in a minute. But there's one thing about pressure that's for sure. Pressure will cause you to seek provision and get your priorities in order pressure on your life when someone in your family is deathly ill when you just lost your job when you don't think you have the money for this or you don't have this that pressure will cause you to seek provision and get your priorities in order and there was no seeking of elijah's advice until the uh, americans started to oppress the people of god and when it got down to that point the king went down to see the prophet because it was just that bad And I don't know what brought you here to church this morning. I know a lot of you consider, everyone here considers New Song their home. But there's also a lot of things that try to keep us from it. There's a lot of really good, important, good excuses, good reasons, good purposes to be gone from church. But I'm glad you're here because I believe, if anything, out of all this series, this one God plans to hit us right between the eyes today. And for you leave with answers to your life's questions. So he went down and he wept over him. The king was weeping over the prophet Elisha. And I understand why he's weeping because he's weeping because what he's losing is so significant. You have to understand Elisha's uh, relationship here with this king and with the people of Israel because Elisha was not just a preacher, Elisha represented the entire defense system of the nation of Israel because he was their window. Not only the window to which they saw the activity of God, but the window through which God would give them protection from their enemies. God used Elisha to keep them out of trouble, more than trouble, to keep them from death. And he had quite the ability to strategically cut off the enemy's ability to make advances, and he would tell the kings where the enemy was going to be attacking, and they could be ready for it. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. I want you to pay attention to this. Listen up. Note that it did not prevent the attack from happening. It provided the strength to withstand the attack. Notice how God uses his people. Notice how God uses his resources through his people. The resources of the people, he uses them. Elisha had a direct line to God and the people of Israel had depended on it over and over to help them defeat the enemy to be able, when they were getting ready to attack, to be able to defeat them before they attacked and know what their strategy was. But it wasn't that God used Elisha to keep them from having to fight. Here's the thing. Sometimes we get confused about the provision of God because we mistakenly believe that the provision of God will mean the prevention of problems. Listen to this. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you know the gravity of what's being said here, but this is going to speak, I, I, if I deal with this, you deal with this. We often think that God's provision when we pray, God, help me get this job, help me pay these bills, help me do this. We think that God, uh, that God will, his provision will mean the prevention of problems. The way we often ask God to provide for us, we're actually asking him if we're truthful If we're completely honest, what we're actually asking God to do in the way that we want Him to provide is to eliminate the need for Him. In other words, we're often asking for provision in such a way we're saying, God, create me a life that will make you unnecessary. Create for me a life that will make you unnecessary. If my kids are born, and as soon as they're able to stand and walk, I hand them the keys of the car, the keys of the house, you know, credit card, whatever. I hand them all that and say, there you go. Your life is made for you. It's, it's yours. If I hand that to them, I haven't provided for them. I've set them up to, uh, to, for catastrophe. I've set them up to kill themselves. God, create for me a life that makes you unnecessary, and he won't do it. That's why some of you think he's not answering your prayers. That's why you're not getting that job, or you're not getting that money, or you're not getting that person, or you're not getting this or that, because God can't give it to you because you'll wreck yourself with it. The king is weeping over what's leaving. And Elisha is pointing to what's left. And in every season of my life, I have a choice. And watch this. It says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and, and its horsemen. Elisha's dying. He's sick and he's dying. And the king's just saying, oh, talk to God for me before you pass because I need help again. I, no, no, don't worry about Elisha. Don't worry that you're passing. Let's pray for you, brother. You're sick. No, get, get God on the, on the red phone here. Elisha is about to leave the building, but before he goes, he points to the provision. He points to the provision. And I believe God wants to point out the provision that he has placed in front of you in your life today. So every one of you today, if you receive what God has for you through this word today, you'll walk out knowing that he has already supplied your needs, that it's right around you. All you have to do is open up your eyes, look through the right window. I've been asking him to do that for me all along the way. So watch, what, watch this. Elisha said this in verse 15. And Elisha said to him, get a bow and arrows. What profound, deep passage this is. Get a bow and arrow. This is the king, not the warriors, not the guys, the foot soldiers. This is the king. Now the arrows didn't just magically appear at this point. This wasn't some magical, heavenly uh, bunch of arrows. The bow didn't fall out of the sky. It'd been there all along. It was a normal item just laying to the side because apparently with your rear end getting kicked by your enemies all the time, you've got to keep some weapons around, right? He simply is instructing the king to locate what has been there all along and what was in the house when he came. Some of you have more resources in your house than you think you have. Some, Some of you have more resources in the family God's provided you in the home that he's provided you than you think you have. Now he instructs him to take in his hands, and notice he doesn't tell the king to study the composition of the bow and the arrow, figure out how all that works, he doesn't tell him or to browse a catalog or or the internet or Google, right, to find out how bows and arrows work or how they're made, or read the history of the bows and arrows, because you know what, because sometimes we come to church and, and we judge whether we like it or not on whether we learn some trivial historical details that don't really cause us to have to do anything. We want to go where our ears are tickled so we can learn a bunch of stuff that's really not going to cause us to do anything. So, so the more a pastor can expound on the historical details, we get real thrilled. But when it gets down to the end and the pastor's saying, this is what God wants you to do with it, we're like, oh, I already got what I need, thanks. I'll just go on with my life. So let's get a head start on this, on this changing that God wants to do in us today. And I want you to turn to someone next to you and say, do something with it. Do something with it. Do something with this word. Make up your mind. Make a precision today, a, a pre-decision that you, when you leave this place today, you're going to grow from this word. And even if I don't like Pastor C.J. without a beard, uh, if he says one thing I can apply to my life, then I'm going to do it. See, I want to make sure everyone's well, you guys are paying attention. It's about the only time you're smiling is if I say something goofy. Get a bow and arrow and do something. This king did so. So he was kind of like the original Nike advertisement. He just did it. You take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. And when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And then in verse 17, this is the theme verse where he said, and he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And when he declared, and watch this promise. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. Now, if Paul was was experiencing this moment and he wrote about it, he'd say, I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. If John was writing, he would say, this is the victory that overcomes the world. The arrow of victory, the, the Lord's arrow of victory. God is a source of my supply. God is a source of my strength. It's the Lord's arrow of victory, but he put it in your hands. Now, here, I want you to get the point from this. God gave the victory, but you must take the shot. We're real quick to say, I know how the Bible ends. We win, and we just coast along. We don't get aggressive uh, towards the enemy. We don't get out there and march the streets to make sure no one's going to hell without knowing the Lord and uh, having an opportunity to know the Lord. And and we, we know about the victory, but we forget we're the ones that have to take the shot. And oftentimes in provision, God has already figured out the victory for us, but we're the ones that have to take the shot. It's like Wayne Gretzky. I'm not even a fan of of hockey, but if I had to pick between a lot of uh, sports, hockey would be over. Definitely golf and and some others, definitely baseball. But he but this is what Wayne Gretzky said. He said, "You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take." Um, And and he shot the arrow, but what happened next is tragic. This is where it gets real. What happened next is tragic because he had the opportunity of a lifetime to completely defeat the enemy that was oppressing him because Elisha is dying. He's not going to have that resource anymore, but Elisha is trying to pass on the torch and give this king the opportunity, this one who's wallowing in his his grief over this, who is wallowing in the fact that he's fearful, and he gives him the, the chance of a lifetime To completely defeat this enemy that was oppressing him and his people, and he missed it. He completely missed it. He missed it because, watch in verse 18. The prophet said, Take the arrows, and the king took them. Strike the ground with them, and he struck it three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, You only did half of what you should have done. Apparently, he had six arrows. And he only struck three of the ground. He only did half. This sounds like there's a lesson being taught here about God's provision because he didn't have faith. You know, if you're told strike the ground with the arrows, strike all of them. Because you don't want to leave anything undone. You need to be all in and believing for God to do it all. You had more arrows that you didn't use. And this is where I want to key in today. It's it's significant that it was not the lack of arrows artillery that caused the king to miss the potential victory, it was not the lack of weapons, it was the lack of will. And if you have used every arrow that you had, if you'd done that king, you would have completely defeated uh, this thing completely and now you will only defeat the enemy three times because the prophet says now you're only going to defeat them three times. Indicates that he had an opportunity to defeat them more. The power of provision. God has given me what I need for the season that I'm in. And I have a choice to make today and every day that will I weep over what I'm losing or will I wield the weapons that are left? Will I weep over spilled milk or will I charge forward with what God's given me? Provision, perspective, the two are connected. I remember when I was a kid, uh, our house in Nebraska, I thought it was really huge because it's three full levels, but when I realized it was one of these old kind of, plantation style homes Only was in a block of homes so it was really skinny and tall and it had a full basement and a midsection and top floor and it looked huge as kids we go back to visit it's not but there was one thing really huge about that house and there is a blue spruce tree so it has a blue tint to it and looks like a huge full Christmas tree all the way to the ground and it was over two stories tall it actually covered the front of the house it was probably the most beautiful tree in that town of 6,000 people in Nebraska And me and my friends underneath there, because of the way the branches, there was this nice little teepee-sized space in there, but it was prickly. You had to go in through the back. And so because the sun didn't shine there, it was already thinning in in the needle and stuff, so we cut a little hole through there, and that was fine. That was our fort. Nobody saw that right of the house. But my dad and mom were gone one day, and my friends in the neighborhood, we decided that fort, we couldn't see out of that fort because our enemies of them coming, and we decided to get the hedge clippers and cut circular windows like a spaceship around the base of that tree needless to say when I got home like usual I tell you I get spanking from the neighbor's parents everybody's parents my dad's and everybody else gets one I got three four five however many Um, my parents were very free about letting people discipline me but listen my dad was looking at a tree with holes in it, and I was looking at all that you could see when you're under the tree when there, are no, when there are holes in it. It's perspective. My dad saw a serious problem. I saw a better view. My father saw a ruined tree. I saw Swiss Family Robinson in action. If you haven't seen that movie, you'll understand later. But. And here's my premise. It's about perspective. So repeat after me. What I see is up to me. What I see is up to me. See, Elisha was a seer. And when he saw something, he spoke to it. And he spoke something, and the needs of the people materialized. And because he saw something and spoke it out, you see, to see and to speak is something powerful. Many times we see things and we say nothing about it. God shows us something. He shows us something about our situation. And we don't want to say anything about it because then we have to deal with it. but my mind plays these tricks on me. You see, now that I'm older, maybe grown up a little bit and grown out, I've matured, maybe a little closer to being like my father, because if my kids cut holes in my special tree, all I would see is a problem, a ruined tree. I am always asking myself the question. I'm always automatically noticing what I'm missing. Not what's there, but what I'm missing. And boy, if you knew the kind of day we had as a family yesterday and the talks we were even having over the phone, you would know this is right up our alley. So kids, you need to listen, boys. And, and our family, uh, one that's out cold, but she'll get it later. But listen, they know this about me. I'm speaking the truth. I'm always seeing what's missing. I don't walk in and see that they're having fun reading books or whatever. I walk in and see that, hey, there's trash in the back of the van. You guys, I've told you a hundred times, I'll do that. You know, I see these things, they're missing. The things that should have been done, I'd see, but I don't see what is being done. My brain is trained to do it. It's almost like somewhere I took a class on how to walk into any situation and notice what's missing. What I don't have, what I can't do, what I can't control. Now, I give myself some credit because some people don't even notice the need, they just walk by it. There are some that are that way, and they need a lot of help from people around them if they'll take it. It amazes me what children will not even see the need to be done. And you guys, I'm not talking bad about you, so you understand. We're we're moving on from you, okay? That wasn't bad about you. That was bad about Dad. But children, it's not that they don't do some things. It's that they don't even see the need for it to be done. You mean I have to take a bath every day? Yes. Yes. They don't see the need. You mean I have to put on deodorant even when we aren't going to church? Yes, because it is hot and we'll be in the car with you, so yes. They don't see the need because they don't smell the stench. And you know you can get to a place in your life where you've been in a situation and a condition so long everybody else smells it but you? Everybody's thinking of somebody else. Let's let's move it to ourselves for a minute, okay? But the truth is, as pastoring, I see it far more than I ever did before. There are so many people who they've been doing something so long that they think is just fine and hunky-dory and just right, and I can see it stunting their growth and their spiritual walk, and they can't see it. Everybody else can smell it. They can see it all over them, but they can't see it. And and it's touchy ground when you start trying to get over there to help them with that. Because if they don't really welcome that help, it's going to send them shooting on, and guess what? They're going to go somewhere else where they're not going to smell it or see it either, and other people are going to be afraid to tell them. I mean, you can get to the place where you don't even see the need. I remember when I was in high school, there was a certain guy, and I actually when I was in court recently, I saw him again, so I won't use his name, but I, there was a guy who apparently didn't take showers there at gym class and didn't take them at home ever, and it got so bad that finally the guys all rallied together in gym class and pushed him in the shower and put soap on him and made him take a shower with his clothes on. And Worse yet, sometimes we don't see the need because all we see are the symptoms. In your body, in the medical realm, it's called referred pain. It's when you have something wrong, like in your back, that's where the real problem is, but you feel it in your legs or numbness, like sciatica, you know? So you're trying to fix a place that's not it's not coming from until the doctor says, that's not where your problem is, it's up here. And when David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he's also implying that God is the only one who knows what I really need and when I need it. When I pray, and my boys started praying this recently. It's kind of funny, and the irony that they start praying this and, and in this message. But when I pray, give me this day my daily bread, as Jesus taught his disciples to pray. I pray no longer to give me what I think I need, but give me what you know I need. God is the only one who has been in my tomorrow, so he's the only one who knows what I'm going to need when I get there. And if he knows I need to fight a lion, so I'll be ready for Goliath, then I want to fight the lion. And listen, I know I'm wired a little bit different than you, and I can go over here and complain about my stuff, and then come over here and tell you how strong I can be, and I get that. But seriously, I, 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 what grades on my nerves a little bit more than others, and this is not the pastor part of me, this is the part that God's trying to grow out of me, is whiners. People who will whine and whine and whine because they don't realize God put that lion in front of them because they got a giant on the way and if they don't get good at fighting the lion, they're going to be scared and run from the giant. I don't want him to prevent the fight. I don't want him to put an Elisha in my life and me ignore that and think that God is there to prevent the fight. I want him to provide the faith and the strength in my walk. To fight. To fight, because that's what life is. You can either fight with God or you'll be fighting without him. When you walk away from his graces, guess what? You're just fighting the world altogether. All those friends that think are so you know liberal in their ways and they're just supporting your your wants and your needs, guess what? They'll turn your back on you faster than Christians will. For sure. Christians will still do it because we're human and we're fallible, but you aren't gaining anything. What you've done is you're just trading the, the the lack of love for people who do love you for the lack of love that will come from people who say they love you. Because if I don't fight Goliath, I won't get that proven battle sword when I win that fight. And if I don't get that proven battle sword, then it won't be in storage when I need it. God knows what I need. He's my source. Somebody shout, He is my source. I know it's first service, but come on. I know there's not that many of us here this morning, but shout, he is, he is my source. Tell it to the person sitting next to you. Some of you are like, I need some people sitting next to me to be able to say it. We need to, we need to tell the person next to you, you're not my source. We need to tell our job, you're not our source. Be careful with that. And you need to tell our boss, you're not my source. But they aren't. When I lost my job at Walmart, I thought I was never getting it back, and I was fired under this, uh, this policy. Things were mistaken, and they told me I will never be able to work for Walmart again. And I thanked them, and I prayed with them, and I said, thank you for, for letting God use you to provide for my family, but he is my provider. Don't you worry. And they're crying, worrying about my twin boys that were so little. And I said, God will provide. That's no praise to me. The Holy Spirit came in that moment and said, I need you to get through to these people, this message, and so I'm going to use your situation. You're going to think you did really good afterwards, but it's not you. See, there are some things in life that are really nice to have, but I don't really need them to survive. Jen will tell me it's not the things that I may get her that are very few and far between, which is bad. But she will tell me our love is not dependent on, contingent on, Material things. And I wonder if I've come to that place in my relationship with God that I really believe that if he didn't give it, I don't need it. We are, we are in a world where storage buildings and these storage places are, are booming businesses, and they're going up everywhere. Why? Because people aren't getting that one fact. If God didn't give it, they don't need it. I'm just going to store it somewhere, and it's not going to get used. It's going to be useless sometime because I think I have to have all these things. My brain, tell, brain tells me different. My brain tells me even when I'm preaching this sermon that I'm not intelligent enough. I'm not articulate enough. And when I tell my little jokes, I'm not comical enough. All those things go through our head, but because my brain picks out the people here who are never going to laugh anyway. I don't know why it is, but my brain will gravitate my eyes to those who I know who are going to be disapproving. Especially if it's one that uses um, any kind of humor my mom wouldn't approve of. I know my eyes gravitate to her because I'm trying to get some approval. Like if she likes it, then everybody else does because she's going to be my worst critic, right? There could be 50 people here stand up and say, Preach, Pastor, but my little brain will find the others. I mean, I could walk into a situation and find out what's wrong in a minute and notice who wasn't nice to me in just a minute. I always notice what I'm missing. I always notice what I lack. I always notice what I've lost. But if I notice what I lack and what I've lost, I won't use what I have left. If my focus is on what I don't have, I won't use what I do have. And God wants to do through my life next. What he wants to do through my life next is not contingent on what I lack or what I've lost. Get a bow and get some arrows. Tell your neighbor, what you have is what you need. What you have is what you need. What you have is what you need. God should have made me with muscles and bones that don't hurt and pop and tear every day from normal use and put me in pain and put me in a situation where my wife is having to massage the soreness out so I can even sleep. And I get around and fool everyone around me into thinking I don't need new muscles new bones, but it's what I need. God's given me what I need. I get around and I get it done. I get what He's given me to get done. It was a time when there was a time when things were not looking good financially for the church. And a guy that didn't even come here came to my office and hand delivered a big fat check that we desperately needed. And it was big. It was a large sum. And we only had 15 months until we were gonna be out of money before that check came. And so I made a handwritten thank you note and he had asked me to come and bless his house. So, uh, you know, call him and pray a blessing over his new home. And so I I went to pray over him, uh, not his home, and gave him a handwritten thank you. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, I appreciate your gratitude, but it's not needed. I appreciate your gratitude. I appreciate the thought of the note, but it's not needed. And I'm reminded of Paul when he is in prison, he's writing to the church at Philippi who just contributed towards his legal defense. And so Paul writes to them to thank them and express his gratitude. And listen to this, he says, hey, I got your gift and I'm really happy for it. In fact, I rejoice greatly, and this is in Philippians 4, verse 10, that you renewed your concern for me at last, as if he's saying it took you a while, but I know that you were concerned and had no opportunity to show it. Now, that's important because you've got to understand what he's saying there. I know that you had concern for me, but you had no opportunity to show it. And we could focus on what they didn't have to give before. But what Paul's saying is, what's really important is that, that Paul's problem created their opportunity. And sometimes we miss God's provision because it's disguised as a problem. Sometimes we miss God's opportunity because it's disguised as a problem. Pastor C.J. said we need to raise $100,000. We've got about 30-some thousand in in, in, change in or 36,000 in change in support, which are pledges, which is great. But others will look at that and say, "Well, I don't know how he thinks we're going to raise the other 60-some thousand," because it's disguised as a problem. God's provision is disguised as a problem, and some of us don't even like math problems, so we get into these and we shy away. And we don't receive the provision because it's wrapped in a package that looks like a problem. And we keep sending back the gift that God's trying to bestow upon us because it doesn't feel good. God, you're, you're putting on my heart to give more than I think I can give, and I just don't feel comfortable about that. It seems like that's going to cause me problems, so I'm not going to do it. But God's gift to you is because he's going to prove to you once and for in your life that you don't have to worry about tomorrow. He's got it. Here's another part of that. God sometimes sends correction in your life to make you better. But he didn't do it through someone telling you how good you are. He sent someone to correct you. But you don't like the way you're corrected and you don't like the way it feels. You don't like who he sent. You don't like who he's put in your life to correct you and so you're pushing back and God's provision comes wrapped in strange packages and so for for Paul he's in prison and God provides for him through the church and he's writing back to them and he says thank you for the gift I received it I was happy about it and I appreciate it but then what he says next in the next verse he says I'm not saying this because I'm in need that sounds kind of funny doesn't it thank you for the gift that's great I mean I know you guys sacrificed everything but I'm not in need Well, send it back, Paul. (laughs) Spoiled brat? No, listen. There's a different inflection. There's a different thing being said there. For I have learned. See, this is something you're not born with. You don't know what you need because you're born as a baby kicking and screaming and you don't even know what you need. All you know is you're hungry and you're in your mama's belly, and you're receiving food, and there's this disjuncture where you think it's been cut off. You don't know how to get it or how the process is to get it there, but all of a sudden you're screaming. You don't even understand the process, but it feels like you've been left alone, and you don't even know what you need. You don't understand the process, but life is a process of God teaching you that He is the one who feeds you. Sometimes he'll do it in one way, sometimes in another, sometimes in an obvious way, sometimes not. Sometimes he'll do it through nobody at all, and sometimes you're all alone. But when God is your supplier, there is no lack. Do not worry about tomorrow, what we shall eat, or what we shall drink, or what we shall wear, for your father knows you need these things. He already knows what you need. So don't worry about it. He knows what I need. And Paul says, it's nice, but I don't need it. It's nice. I'll use it, but I don't need it. Jen says, I appreciate what you buy for me. It's nice, but I don't don't need it. I like it. I'll use it, but I don't need it. And Here's the thing. Don's not here. Maybe she'll be in second service. You know, Sister Pat and others, I can name some of you, but there's some. Dawn, Wednesday night, she has her hands up sometimes. She's excited about what God's saying to her through a message. And, and I like that. It's nice. I don't want her to stop. You know, Cephas gets up here in second service, and he's he's clapping and clapping and clapping. And, you know, that's nice. And I, I I don't want him to stop. And God will use that, but I don't need it. I'm going to preach this if you stand up and shout or if you stand up and walk out on me. Or that you sleep through it. Whatever you do, because it's my calling. It's my assignment. See, if you want to respond, that's nice. But if you don't, I've got a word from God, and I've got to get it out. This is for all of you who have been underappreciated in anything, and you've responded poorly because you've responded like you needed someone to do something to correct it. You don't need man's approval. And so if you're going through life because you really need people to know how good you're doing or what you're doing, you know, it's those people that when they want to go hand the, they want to go give a check somewhere, they want to make sure they get the picture and the check. Or if, the, if you went over and took care of somebody when they're sick, you want to make sure everybody knows that you did it? Because those deeds aren't really done for them. It's done to give you something that you keep seeking, and that's that self appro- that's that approval of others. You're doing it because you really need someone to validate you. You need someone to say you're worth something. But this is for all of you, if that's you, it's nice when people notice me, yes, but God is my rewarder, God is my source. I don't need it. If you have a problem wanting people to recognize and appreciate you, you're focused on the wrong direction. Jen will tell you early days of our marriage, she's very complimentary, and that's not a fault of hers. She's very, very kind and complimentary. She's always been, honey, you're great at this, or honey, you do this, or you're, you're a good dad, or you do this. And I always tell her, it makes me uncomfortable when you say those things because I don't need it. Because if the one thing I will tell you that I love more than anything is doing it unto the Lord. And whether I do it right every time or whether I really got my heart in the right place, the gratification to know that I may never get thanks here on earth, but I've done it for my Lord and Savior because what he's done for me, that's all I need. And listen, here's your key. If that's you and you keep looking for people to appreciate you, then you're looking in the wrong direction. You need to look up. You need to look up. You need to quit expecting people because you're going to be disappointed your whole life. You're expecting people to validate you and and to tell you you're great and to tell you these great things. And even when you do small things, you just want a little thank you. Let me tell you, if you can give that up and start focusing on the Lord for your approval and for your validation, your life will take on a new meaning in Christ you've never known before. That's why I live Psalms 37, 5, and 6, I preached for Trey's funeral. Hold nothing back before God. He'll do what has to be done. He'll validate your life in the clear light of day, He'll stamp you with approval at high noon. Look up for your approval. Look to God to validate you. I'll take myself out. on Valentine's Day and I'll buy myself a steak and I'll give myself roses and sit there and reflect on God's goodness while I'm eating my steak. If that's what it takes, but I don't need somebody else to make me validated. So you can just say out loud right now, if God didn't supply it, I don't need it. If God didn't supply it, I don't need it. If it didn't come from God, then it's just not for this season because what I've found is this. The deeper the valley, the greener the grass. The deeper the valley, the greener the grass, and God doesn't lead us where, to a place where he won't feed us. You, you, you worry about when he's got you the valley, but you got to understand that's where the greenest grass is because he's going to grow you there. That's a place of growth because all the water flows down there, all the nourishment's flowing down there because when you're high on the mountaintop, you don't think you need God you need to start to love those valleys a little bit more and he'll never send me into a situation he will not supply for i'm i'm wrapping up elisha had the unique ability to go into the same situation others go into and see a shortage and he was able to see god supply who is this for today who is this for today is this for you you know who i'm most worried about the one who pretends they have no need The ones who can hear God's voice and the anointing through his word and they pretend as if they don't need it. Or the ones that come in so calloused in their heart or become so dependent on dysfunctional systems that cannot feed you that you have lost the ability to come before God and say, I need you. I'm really worried, church. I'm really worried not just for our church, others, that when we don't have people coming down, that the Holy Spirit has not moved on them to the point that they are there, or the Holy Spirit's moving on them, but they've not surrendered to the point that when you're seeing I surrender all, and there's altars and there's place to hit our knees or to get alone with God and start crying out to him that we don't hear the cries of his people anymore. I'm just being real with you. It is a problem. Okay, God's asked me to be your pastor. You may leave today and never want to come back or never want to talk to me again, but I'm telling you the truth is your life needs you to cry out to God and say, I'm hungry, Lord. I don't understand the process. I don't understand where it's going to come from. All I know is I need you. If I seek you first, the kingdom and your righteousness, all these things, they're not needs any longer. Guess what? The perspective, the lens has changed. All of a sudden, I don't need that job. I don't need this. I don't need that. All I need is God. I've got him. and Have you ever met somebody like that? It seems like their daily walk. They just says, I've got God. I've got him on my side. That's all I need. I'm not going to whine and complain about what I don't have. I'm not going to be looking every time and let my mind, that program in my mind, send me to what I don't have. I'm going to stay on what I do have left to fight. I'm going to grab a bow and some arrows and do it. So I've been switching my question from earlier that I asked myself. I could be like a broken record and just keep doing the same things, but I've switched from the question from what I'm missing to what I'm not seeing. Instead of asking myself what I'm missing and going to that by default, what am I not seeing? Maybe I'm not seeing the fact that my, my, my kids love to read God's Word. And, and they may not always follow through with cleaning when I tell them to clean. And that's something to work on. But I, I need to remember that what's left The arrows and the bow, they're reading God's word, they're praying, they have a relationship with God. Praise God for it. Not what I'm missing, but what I'm not seeing. There are plenty of things I'm missing, and if I focus on that, I'll be robbed of what Jesus died for, and that's his perfect purpose for my life. What is it, God, that I'm not seeing? What are the weapons that are within my reach that I'm overlooking? What are the resources you've already put in my care that I'm not using to do battle for your kingdom and your people? This building itself, this building project itself, not to divert from the other spiritual applications that God has already spoken to your heart, but this building program itself is a perfect example. It's dressed as a problem. But God's provision is all over it. If we'll choose to see what he's given us. that's already sitting by. It's been waiting for the battle. God's provided just for that purpose. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have birthed in, in my heart, Lord, through this sermon, God, and through the preparation time, God, you birthed in my heart uh, a key component that keeps messing me up, God, in my life, that I keep focusing on what I don't have instead of just asking, God, what am I not seeing? To open my eyes, to look through the right window, to look through the right perspective, God, to see your provision. That I'm for the vision. Pro-vision. I'm for the vision you have for my life. That God, all those things that I think I need, the food and all that stuff, your word's already told me, don't worry about it, I'm taking care of it. But I'm focused on the vision. I'm pro-vision, the pro for the vision you have for my life. If you're here this morning and you need to make a outward commitment to the Lord while everybody's with their heads bowed, you just need to make an outward commitment to the Lord so I can pray for you as well. I'm just gonna raise your hand and say you know pastor cj this is for me i need new perspective of god's provision that's you just raise your hand and i want to pray for you Jesus. put your hands down lord i just pray right now for those lord it doesn't matter if it's one person lord it doesn't matter if there's no one here but on the podcast someone out there lord this was for lord i'll do it i the, the fact that folks responded, that's nice. I, I, I want to see people respond to you. But Lord, like I'm asking them to do, we don't need it. We don't want to stop it. We just don't need it. We'll carry on anyway because your provision, your perfect provision for us, Lord, can be dressed up as problems. It can be laying right around us. And we give you praise and glory and honor for it in Jesus' name. Lord, help us. Help us all clearly see with the right perspective your provision. In Jesus' name.